this podcast, yeah, it starts in two minutes. I sent him the um, the Zoom invite. I originally spelled his name wrong. I think I sent it to Scott Stalling, and it's Scott Stallings with an S. That's interesting. Uh, you, why do you say that? That's just no, you just say that because you're trying to fill um, space. It's not really that interesting. You know what I mean? Okay, Scott's on the call. Is there anything you want to say to him before I kick you to the curb? <laughs> yeah, he can hear you. Hey, Scott, it's Dave Castro. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? Doing a little podcast with Sevon? Okay, that's about enough, Dave. That's about enough. <laughs> when, are you coming out, when are you coming out to Pebble Beach again? Uh, February. All right, let's link up. Come work out at the ranch. I'd love to, man. It'd be a pleasure to come out there and see it all. Yeah, it's only it's only about thirty minutes away from uh, Monterey. Hey Scott, That's did awesome. Dave did Dave hook us up? He was asking me how how our paths crossed, and I can't I couldn't. He he's taking credit for it. Uh, I was through the lab management guys. Uh, we started I pretty, became pretty good friends with uh, Bridges and the guys that kind of help him, and trying to find an intermediary to overlap between like you know golf management and you know just kind of in the fitness space and we'd reached out to them and the guys like man we you know uh, people need to hear your story across all areas of fitness and they just started reaching out to a bunch of seeing who wanted to take the time appreciate it did you hear a word of what so he Dave said had nothing to do with it <laughs> dave had nothing to do with it <laughs> yeah you heard what was important all right, Dave. Bye. Thanks for uh, thanks for your special appearance. Maybe we'll get some views now. Bye. Hey, see you, man. So, Josh Bridges. Um, that's funny because I, I ran into the story last night. The show's not supposed to start like this, by the way. Thanks for fucking it up, Scott. Um, uh, <laughs> so you didn't know pay the man, and now you have the same management or pay the man or pay him, or that was a phrase you hadn't heard before. And now you're on the same management team as Josh Bridges. Yeah. Just from, uh, you know, they kind of help as like a sounding board. Cause I mean, not that, uh, it's just a completely different business strategy and a different market and just the way that they go about doing all that stuff and just kind of needed someone to sound off to. And it just, lo and behold became then but the first time i ever worked out with bridges that he was like we we're going to pay the man and i was like i i, I don't want to pay you money like i didn't i didn't know what that oh so that was all. actually him you were working out with the story i heard yeah. you didn't say it was him that's amazing yeah we went to his house there in chula vista california and i was there for the tory pines tournament and literally we uh i'd met him at froning's house uh I told this story with uh, uh, Tommy Marquez and Woodland uh, about who the you know first few people I met in CrossFit and Josh Bridges was one of the first guys I met him in Froning's old house in his kitchen standing in my underwear and Bridges was eating lunch and Rich told me that no one was in the house so I just went and changed inside and Josh walked out and it's like hey man and I was that's how we met. <laughs> how happy is your wife? You went from fat boy to skinny skinny anorexic crossfitter to bearded david beckham looking hunk i mean look at you you're incredible looking 
Does she tell you that? Does she know or did the transformation happen so slow that she doesn't know? I don't know. I think when you kind of see everyone, when you see someone every day, you don't realize what was going on. But I mean, she, she stuck me through me through the hard times, but I'm going to record that one section. If I'm having a bad day, I'm going to draw back <laughs> what you just said. I mean, look at you. So, you, you, you're so confident you're wearing like peach. Yeah. I don't know. This is kind of just, I just worked in the grocery store with my daughter and she saw this in my room and she, my daughter's four and she wanted all pink and, this is kind of what I was rolling with. So this is what I wore today. <laughs> awesome. I know a lot about you, but I know zero about golf. So there's going to be some points during this interview where you're going to be like, man, this guy is amazing. This is the best interviewer I've ever been with. He has done his research. Wow. And other parts are going to be like, you fucking doorknob. So bear with me. <laughs> through the highs okay. and lows. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you are um, six feet tall. Mm-hmm. 35 years old, your mm-hmm. weight um, goes between 185 and 200 pounds, depending on yeah. what, what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, I'm about 190 right now. Um, at 12 years old, you somehow OCD or autistically dedicated your life to golf? Um, uh, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that, but uh, yeah, Tiger won the Masters uh, in 97, and I was done. I was a competitive baseball player, and uh, I just I saw Tiger dominate and I wanted a chance to go out there and, and do it. Called my coach and just quit. You refer to yourself at 12. See, this is the OCD, like autistic part. You refer to yourself at 12 years old as a competitive baseball player. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, that, I mean, you were already an over, okay, we'll give an overachiever. You were an overachiever. Um, yeah. You, uh, <laughs> you became pro in two, you've been pro for 10 years. I don't even know what that means to be pro because, and the reason why I don't know what it means is you were pro in, no, sorry. You've been pro for longer than 10 years. You became pro in 2007, but you weren't on the PGA tour until, until 2011. Yeah. So I played like two and a half years of like developmental tour. And then, uh, this is my 10th year on the PGA tour. Is golf like baseball and football and basketball? There really is just one. It's the PGA. And then there's the minors that the PGA kind of owns. Yeah, the PGA kind of has some developmental cycles all the way through, and I, I played those, um, you know, like some mini tours, like basically legalized gambling, which is basically what we were doing. And then the developmental tour, which is right below the PGA tour, which is basically essentially AAA, uh, was called the Nationwide Tour at the time, and now 10 years on the PGA tour. What, what do you mean legalized gambling? Like you get to, you, you explain that to me? Well, basically, you know, on the PGA Tour, there's corporate partners, there's tournament sponsors, there's just all the people that supplement the purse and everything that makes up what kind of what we play for. And, you know, they don't have that in the mini tour level. So basically you pay in, I mean, you basically, your buy-ins are just significantly higher because you're supporting the purse. Okay. Based on your entry fee, the PGA Tour, we don't pay any entry fees. We just show up and play. How do you get money for that? In your, how do you get money for that? You live at home with your parents and you have a paper route and you just. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I had some good guys kind of back me and kind of help me get going and uh, some really good guys from Tennessee and were able to kind of send me and my wife out on the road. And I took my clubs on our honeymoon. We came back uh, and then hit the road, man. And it's been a grind, but it's, uh, it's been a cool journey to kind of see it all the way through and uh, but there's uh, many parts of that stuff that 
I mean, I feel the PGA Tour is definitely always a dream to be a part of, but there's part of that journey all the way coming up that I'll never forget. How many people are there in this, um, this, the, the group that's not on the PGA Tour? Let's call it the minors, the developmental league. How many people are in that? Thousands. Depending on depending on whatever level the corn ferry, which is it's changed names as far as the sponsorship goes, but that's the only way to go from this tour to the PGA tour. And there's probably give or take like on the PGA tour, full, fully exempt members of about 150 to 175 in the world. Um, and then on the, the tour right below that is probably just a little bit more than that. And then below that, I mean, the mini tours can the number is pretty high and everyone's just trying to inch in their way closer and closer to try to gather away to the pga tour boy this is fa- this is fascinating so i are you you're currently ranked at 159 uh yeah that's just uh, is that scary all, you just told me only 150 to 175 are on the tour if you're ranked at 159 you must feel some heat right like that you're going to get tossed down into the minors again no I mean, no. when you've done it as when you've done it as long as I have, you kind of know and understand that there's a. So the way that our our job works is 125 guys in order, basically on a point system to retain your card for the next year. Well, based on everything that's happened, I average about 28 events a year for my career on tour. Right now, I've played 10. So, and everything that's taken place with the when we got stopped March 14th at the player championship, that was going to be my first of 11 out of 13 events. So that was like my meat and potatoes part of my season where I was getting ready to play a lot. And now we just, you know, kind of reset and handle it from there. But uh, I'll have eight more events for this current season. And the way that the tour kind of managed the, um, just eligibility and everything uh you basically retain some sort of of status for the remainder of of the 2021 season okay there's special special rules to keep it basically yeah they basically combine essentially combine your eligibility there's a little bit of flux um as far as you know getting into tournaments and you know everything just a little bit different but for the most part you're going to retain some semblance of status for two years. So that's why there's minimal stress. Oh, that's cool. Is it possible the way it's set up that all the guys who are in the PGA one year would also be in it the next year, or is there always some dudes at the bottom who are getting swapped out? There's always some give and take at the end. And, you know, if you win, you're exempt for a couple of years. Um, So you can win and be in the top 10 in what we call the FedEx Cup. That's our main corporate partner that's the provides uh, like the guy that wins the FedEx Cup wins 15 million at the end of the year on top of other events but that's like the cash payout at the end uh, but a guy could you know win and be exempt for four or five years and then have an off year and finish outside the 125 and he would still retain status because he was exempt so gotcha. there's always a, there's always a little bit. Everyone sees that 125 number and like, oh, there's only 125 guys on tour. It's like, well, you kind of throw that number around 150, 175. Just kind of depends on. But they're always a little bit of a fluctuation. You won. Um, God, I'm going to call it a game. What's it called? You won a an event. What are they called? Tournaments. <laughs> you won a tournament. Um, the uh, what, what is it? The Greenbrier. The yeah. In 2000, is that, did I say it right? Greenbrier? Yeah. You won it in 2011. 
And so you got some exemption, you're saying, that gives you a couple years to just like hang mm-hmm. out and do blow and drink and party. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I probably, I didn't drink a, mu- a bunch, but I, I didn't really take very good care of myself if that was the case. 10, but, uh, ten beers in your lifetime is the rumor, that you've had 10 beers in this 35 I years. I may have had more than that during this quarantine time. I'm not a huge beer guy at all, but uh, I found a brewery here in Tennessee that I, I like, and we've been training a lot. So it's been nice to finish the day off with something very cold. So you, so, so we've gone through all these things. You, you are, you're six feet tall, you're 35, you're a father of two, you're a professional golfer. You weigh between 185 and 200. You're not a big beer drinker. You've made almost $12 million in prizes in your um, 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 golfing career, career, which makes me really uncomfortable to say because, you know, you shouldn't be talking about people's bankroll right in front of them on TV or whatever. But shit, it's all over the Internet how much you make. So, fuck mm-hmm. it. We'll just go there. And you have the most boring PED story in the history of professional sports. Um, but the most interesting thing about you that I found most fascinating with my six pages of notes <laughs> when you are pounds overweight and you look at pictures of you, you're not even like fat. You are like, the only reason why you look fat is because they make you wear golf clothes are the fucking worst clothes in the world if you have any love handles at all. And so you look a little yeah. chubby. But the truth is, everyone should look this guy up, Scott Stalling, and look at pictures of him from 2011. And that's when I see people walking down the street, I'll say to my wife, that guy's 80 pounds overweight or that guy's 50 pounds overweight. He needs to get on the CrossFit. My wife will be like, no, he's not. I'm like, Dude, a healthy human being is like, we've recalibrated that 50 pounds is like not a big deal. Yeah. Like you don't even look fat at 50 pounds overweight at 246 foot. I mean, you just look like your regular, just dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty wild, man. You see all those people do those like commemorative workouts or whatever, where they try to like relive their weight loss. I'm like, man, you go like run around and see what it was like to feel with 50 pounds. Like, no, I don't ever want to remember that ever. <laughs> like ever. Like that's a distant memory. Like, Oh, uh, they put on a weight vest and you would add 50 pounds to it. And then, yeah. Or, or like, or, or like, I'm going to go take a, a, you know, whatever you've lost. Bag of dog you know, food. Uh, yeah. A 60 pound kettlebell. And I'm just going to go carry it around for two months. And I think those things are great. And every I get asked that question all the time, but I mean, like, man, I, I know what that was like. I did it for a long time. I'm, I want to know what this is like and enjoy what this can do because this is way more fun. <laughs> Another remarkable feat you accomplished is you were drinking at one point in your life between 10 and 12 Dr. Peppers, not diet um, because you're a man, um, a day. So I did some calculations on that, some simple arithmetic. Let's see if I could find uh-huh. it. Honestly, man, before you do your math, like Tell that me. is that is probably low. Well, <laughs> so when I first did the calculations, I said 10 a day. I'm like, screw it. I'm going to go 12 because I also heard him say 12. You're telling me that you would tell me you would go to Costco and buy 10 cases of 10, 24 packs of Dr. Pepper and they'd be gone in a week. Yeah, yeah I like the bottle like the twist off the 20 ouncer. Yeah. So I would be, so I mean, uh, 10, 20 ounces a day was probably not far off. Okay. Well, (laughs) perfect. Because I looked at the nutritional value of a 20 ounce bottle of Dr. Pepper. It has 250 calories. So if you drank 12 of those a day, you were getting 3000 calories a day. 
I approve of that. That's good for you. 3,000 calories. This is where it gets weird. <laughs> the sugar content. 3.75 cups of sugar. For basically four cups of sugar you were drinking a day. Yeah. I'm well aware. That is, <laughs> I, have um, no, I, I have no idea how I didn't develop some kind of like, you know, type one or something like that. When I was starting going through all the testing, that was the first thing they thought had some kind of like crazy, like insulin shock thing, or, um, you know, went to all these like adrenal specialists and kidney people and trying to figure out. And then guys like, man, based off your diet, how do you not have diabetes or, you know, some kind of, you know, thyroid condition just by the amount of sugar my body is trying to process. And, um, you know, that's no one's fault, but my own. And, you know, ignorance is not an excuse and, you know, try to take some ownership of that and make it. But honestly, man, it was Southern culture and more is better. And, you know, if you, if you like it, do it again. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, kind of the way that people grow up and, you know, not this idea that <clears throat> enjoy a little bit every now and then, and, you know, kind of go back into a routine of, you know, health and wellness and, you know, figure out, I had no semblance of what that looked like. It was, excess upon excess and it was from uh, a lack of knowledge and training and nutrition to a complete overindulgence in you know food and drink I guess and by no means was it anything like alcohol based it was truly just ultimately just dependent on sugar and I know you guys resonate with that pretty well (laughs) I'm a huge like believer in culture. Like, you know, like if like when uh, Japanese people hand you like a credit card with two hands, you know, like I see that as like a cultural thing. I think that's cool. Like they have these, these protocols. They're, they're almost meditative. They bring you to the presence. You know, I'm not okay with the culture of um, uh, trading horses or cattle for women in property. That's a little old school, right? We're, we're beyond that. (laughs) And, and so on one hand, like, yeah, it's cool that the South has all of these cultures, it's great. The pickup truck with the American flag in it. Totally cool with that. But yeah, the soda pop one. Gots to yeah. go. Or like the sweet tea that was like my grandmother made that like took like four seconds to pour out because it was like, oh, she just need to stir it up a little bit. Basically like maple, like pure Vermont maple syrup came out faster than some of the sweet tea I drank growing up as a kid. Yeah. Uh, culturally, man. it's insane. I'm fixated, especially during the COVID thing on this, on this word personal responsibility. And I've already heard you bring up the concept, you know, you said ignorance is an excuse. I I give ignorance, I guess a a pass, but once you did know, nobody was going to make the journey for you, right? You had to break the, um, the 10 to 12, 20 ounces a day on your own. Yeah. So, I mean, to kind of alleviate, like to kind of get past some of the ancillary stuff, I mean, I ultimately ended up at a, one of the best endocrinologists in the country. I went between a guy from Boston University and got UCLA and they got UCLA. You'd like this analogy is basically a combination of Colonel Sanders and house. That was basically the best deterrent. He looked like Colonel Sanders, like the Kentucky Fried Chicken guy, but he basically had the job of house uh, for the adrenal system. And he basically told me that he said, if you're in my office, you have, uh, you have either something that can be fixed or something that could potentially kill you. I'm like, thanks. And so he went down all this road, tested me for two days and did all these different things. And I remember hopping in the car once I got my kind of prognosis of all the stuff that I needed to find out. 
and called my wife. I was on my way to the airport and I said, I apologize. And I said, what I've done and the things I've gotten myself to this point in my life with my health, I'm solely responsible. And the guy that you know now, you'll never see again. And so I just, I tell everyone I left that guy in LA <laughs> and, you know, just started making one better decision start surrounding myself with people that were way smarter than me, you know, kind of gone down some of the similar paths and, uh, you know, trying to make better decisions and kind of figure out what a healthy lifestyle looked like. And, uh, just started figuring out, man. And it wasn't easy. I was the only person that was going to do the work. I wasn't going to have anyone try to do it for me. And, uh, but through the whole process developed a passion for, you know, the gym is kind of where I went to get away, you know, if a good round, bad round, tough day, great day, it was just something that became a prerequisite. I was going to do it. It wasn't a matter of if and, and when it was just a matter of what time of day is like, uh, it doesn't, is it four in the morning? Is it 10 PM? Do you, you know, do whatever. that? Do you put the kids to sleep? I know you have two kids. It's nine 30 at night. You procrastinate for an hour. Now it's 10 30 and you go in your gym and work out. Yeah, I probably don't do the late nights as much as I do the early mornings, especially if I know that with what I do for a living, waking up early is sort of just a prerequisite. So like 4 a.m. means nothing to me. Why is that? I, I would, Wait, why is that? Well, just because we have early tea time someday. I mean, I've teed off at 630 before. I mean, my day starts at 330 in the morning and I'm normally like a two and a half to three hour before I tee off, wake up guy for morning rounds and you know, so that's nothing. And my gym is literally 50 yards in my backyard. And so I can, you know, I just wanted to create a situation where I just didn't have an excuse. And, you know, it's just a matter of now I feel like my conversations are almost my wife's like, are are, are you ever coming out of there? <laughs> so, which is great, man. I, I want to see my, my kids are down there with me. I have a bunch of good guys I train with and uh, that, you know, you know, from nine to five or just regular, you know, normal dudes to, you know, have a train this whole quarantine time with a, a catcher for the Washington Nationals and a, a lightweight 155 UFC fighter. Yeah, who's, we the, who's the UFC fighter? And you got a guy from the Cardinals in there too, right? Yeah, Lane Thomas, uh, Jan Gomes from the Nationals and Scott Holtzman from the, uh, um, he's a 155 UFC fighter. UFC fighter. Forget the fucking golfer and the baseball player. What a credit to CrossFit that a UFC fighter is in there doing high intensity workouts. And by the way, anyone who does high intensity workouts and you don't think it's CrossFit, that's because you're under 30 and you didn't know, you don't know the origins of CrossFit. Okay. That's, yeah, I mean, stop it. <laughs> I want to come back to the, <laughs> what you feel better now. Yeah, I do. You I just see that. all these people. I don't do CrossFit. And then I, and then you see them and they're 25 year olds and they're, and they're doing CrossFit. They just don't realize it. Cause they don't, it's all they've ever known because yeah, you, it, the whole fitness it, world has changed. We're not doing Arnold Schwarzenegger anymore, which is fine. He's cool. Do, I'm not hating. I guess they didn't do CrossFit and you see him doing like rowing intervals and like man makers. And you're like, Anything on rings, ropes, like, um, I want to come back to the soda thing, but I want to ask you one thing about golfing etiquette. I ended up on the wiki page, wiki page of golfing etiquette. Oh my and, uh, there was this, there was this thing that you're not supposed to do as golfing. And I thought it was fucking brilliant. I would have never thought of it before, but like, if you're, if you're like close to the hole and you're putting to the hole, all the other golfers are not allowed to walk between your ball and the hole because that would could cause divots or uneven grass areas. 
where the ball would travel, thus making it harder to make the shot. And there was a word for it. Do you know what that word is? No. But you don't walk through someone's line? Is that yeah, and there was like a word for it, but I thought, what a sneaky move to do that. Like send your two hundred and fifty pound caddy to walk between the ball and the hole to kind of like make the ground uneven. Yeah, that's uh that would be very much frowned upon. Now you can like they change you can fix all that. Like a guy steps in my line, I it's you know, purely accidental. I mean, at the at the level that we play, I mean you're going to get beat based on your talent and ability. You're not going to get beat because someone trying to trick you out of doing some, I don't know. I, I don't have the time for that, but uh, there's no, but made there's it. no shady stuff like that. Like I don't follow sports real well, but there was like a thing where they took air out of one uh, in football. They took the air out of the football. Or I remember being a kid and going to baseball games and guys would be like having sandpaper and it's like sanding the ball or putting corks in the bat. And, and you would just hear that stuff. There's none of that stuff going on in golf. I guess there's only 125 of you, right? <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there is, but, I mean, it kind of police yourself. I mean, the etiquette and standards. I mean, not to say that guys aren't going to try, but, I mean, that's just not going to last very long. And, you know, with the way that media is, they don't forget. There was a guy that kind of – that got caught on TV uh, kind of messing with his lie in this fairway bunker. And, I mean, he just blatantly lied that he didn't do it. And they're like, man, we have it on tape twice. And he's seven, like, from seven oh, angles. Oh, oh, like. He's like, oh, I didn't know you can't do that. It's like, man, you know, you're, you know you can't do that. So just like I said, man, ignorance is not an excuse in situations like that, especially once you know, just, you know, sitting there and just throwing your hands up like, oh, sorry, didn't know that. And just walk away like nothing ever happened. But you, I would say, in, I would say, I would say in other sports, there's some stuff, but maybe golf is just, man, 18 holes in the ground. You're trying to get it in there as fast as you possibly can. And you're probably a bad um sort of baseline or litmus test for who cheats and doesn't cheats. You're, you're pretty square. You are as straight laced. You are square, right? I mean, you don't look square, <laughs> but like once someone gets to know you, you're like, you have a bedtime, yeah. you go to church, your kids, you struggle with nudity in movies. Do you? Am I close? No, that's, Am I profiling no, I mean, you good? No, man. I think I'm pretty laid back. Nothing much really bothers me, but I, I can't stand ignorance. I can't stand just, uh, you turned you yourself know, in for buying something at CVS that your dog Kroger. You. Kroger. Kroger. I mean, when I'm reading this fucking story, I'm like, what, what is this the nicest guy on the planet? <laughs> yeah, man, that was a bizarre time. Uh, uh, you know, became the poster child of, uh, what in the world was going on here. And honestly, when that whole thing came out, it was all based on the idea that if you had any kind of thing you were concerned about, and I had just started going down this path of like what health and everything looked like. And my doctor, while we were doing all these tests was like, man, just like, this is not going to be the cure or anything. This is something that could just kind of help you feel a little bit better through the process instead of, you know, Hey, we're going to prescribe you this or we're gonna prescribe you that. It's like, it was $10.83 at the Kroger uh, right down the street from my house. And who knows, man. I, you didn't, what's probably, crazy is you didn't test positive, but you turned never once. In. Yeah, that, never they once. tested you twice and you didn't test positive and you still ran out there and like, no, it's like one of those guys in jail who didn't commit the murder, but wants to get credit for it. No, no, I killed him. I guess. But I mean, honestly, I, I sat down the path is like, man, if you, <clears throat> why is this? you know, so 
prohibited substance on the list. Like, how could you take this? I mean, I, I passed an Olympic test. I took blood and everything. And I was like, I mean, is, is, the, is it the drug? Is it the testing? What is it? And I kind of went out. That was my original avenue. It wasn't that I wanted, you know, everyone to be, how, man, how great of a guy are you that you're turning yourself in when you didn't have to? I could have just as easily just stopped taking it. I mean, right. who knows if it was doing anything. To come to find out down the road, in order to fail for that DHEA, the product that I bought at the grocery store, which, by the way, probably buying your supplements at the grocery store, probably not the best idea. <laughs> um, but again, I, I didn't know. And, you know, I took responsibility and, and handle that. And I lay my head on the pillow at night and know that, but it's been a cool story to be able to tell that, you know, to, in order, sorry, get back to it. In order to fail for that, you have to have an injected and you'd have to take about 2,500 to 3,000 milligrams in order to fail for that. I was taking 25. Orally. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> so and based on like my baseline numbers of all the stuff that I was dealing, like I was 29, I had a, like a free testosterone of one, like under two. And I mean, that wasn't like the number we we're going, but like cortisol levels and inflammatory levels of like borderline, like geriatric. The first guy at UCLA that drew my blood said, if you, if I didn't take this myself, I thought this would be from a guy that was going into a nursing home. Wow. Just off the charts, inflammatory, just like, I mean, I was as fragile that's as scary. Gets, man. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. And pushing your body as hard as you can. Yeah, I mean, you're just repetitive motion. You're playing, you know, 30 plus tournaments a year. You're on the road. My rookie year, I was on the road 337 days. So, I mean, you're just uh, a ticking time bomb, for lack of a better term, and just dealing with stuff that no way at 20, I shouldn't have been even remotely having the conversations I was having at that age, let alone where I'm. I always tell people like, I feel like I got a second chance and opportunity to live my dream on tour and, you know, hopefully kind of go before and have a chance to talk to people like you and kind of explain, man, don't wait. Everyone's looking for that like aha moment or, you know, just some people aren't as fortunate to, you know, have life kind of hit them in the face. They got to kind of take a little bit better ownership of what they're doing and go out there and figure out what the best version of themselves looks like. Ownership. He said it. He's more personal responsibility talk. Isn't that weird? This guy's successful at life and he keeps accidentally talking about personal responsibility and ownership. Um, <laughs> are you a master traveler? I, I would say, well, through this whole quarantine time, I have become platinum zoom at whatever, whatever you can. <laughs> become. Uh, but uh, I would say that I have a pretty good way of, I like a way to doing it. I've, I've traveled with my family, my son's seven, my daughter's four. And we traveled with, when you learn to travel with kids, you can do anything. And I mean, we had the kids on the road for 30 plus weeks a year. And I mean, you ever seen so you a, go a, with a, your family on tour? Yeah. For, uh, we, they don't travel as much now. My son's in, he's now in second grade, but just trying to manage that. But you ever seen like a four-year-old kid go to the sky priority? Uh, desk <laughs> at Delta. <laughs> They're like, do you have? Do you have have an ID? It's like, no. Oh, he's full. It's like, well, how does like, man? So, 
but you start learning how to travel with uh, children, you can handle it a lot. But I've got some little hacks and different ways that I like to go about doing my thing. I, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a master by any means, but I'd say I'm pretty redundant the way that I do things. The worst thing you can ever do, this would be my tip, the worst thing you can ever do while you're traveling is is drink too much the night before you have to leave. Because leaving and packing hungover is the worst thing that can happen in life. Yeah, I've had the experience with that a, a time or two. Not to excess, but just like, man, I stayed up too late, I do this. So most of the time, before I do anything like that, I'm already packed. Oh, yeah, yeah, just that's just not. Or just don't do it and come home. Get old and don't do that shit <laughs> like me <laughs> when you get when you stop drinking the sodas do you do it cold turkey immediate i haven't okay. had one and I, I honestly could not tell you the last time i had one does dr like, pepper have caffeine in it oh yeah where do you get your caffeine from now i drink coffee okay and so when you quit cold turkey from 10 to 12, 20 ounce Dr. Peppers a day, what yard line of health does that immediately take you to? Because I tell people that, that if you drink soda pop and you quit drinking soda pop and you switch just to water, you, you'll quickly cross, within a week, you'll cross the 50 yard line. Like you're just like, you're just there. Yeah, I mean, you're I, just, I definitely agree. I mean, just in how I felt, I mean, that initial crash was, I mean, I, I should have checked into like a treatment facility, <laughs> like a rehab center. <laughs> yeah, what are you here for? Uh, soda? Like, oh, we don't treat that. I was like, well, you should, because I feel awful. <laughs> um, but I mean, it was probably honestly like a two weeks, and it was literally go and find anywhere I had it, whether it was the pantry, the refrigerator, outside fridge, wherever I, my car, whatever. I was just chucking it. Didn't matter. And fr friends of mine, like, giving away. I was like, no, I'm not giving this away. I'm throwing it away, like, just pitching everything I possibly could. And I went just pretty diligent, got back to uh, a friend of mine that had come off a of soda before, said he went to where he started trying to drink a gallon of water a day. And so I just challenged myself. I was like, all right, I'm going to fill it up with that. And got my gallon jug, carried it around, was miserable for about two weeks. And uh, honestly, man, it's been at least five years, if not more. What happens if you have to pee so freaking bad in the middle of a, a tournament? Like, is there time to do that? Have you ever had to pee so yeah. bad? You're like, oh, shit, I'm not going to make it. No, I, I uh -oh. make it. I mean, I mean, they, the tour pretty does a pretty good job of taking care of us. Um, I just you imagine know, you with five. your gallon of water and being out there and they're like, <laughs> and the TV cameras on you are like Scott Stalling up to bat or whatever you guys do up to swing. No, we're, we're, we're pretty well taken care of. There's an the opportunity you can kind of sneak out of the way and, and, uh, and take care of yourself if you need to, but it's uh, not like that in the I, podcast I, world. 80% of the time I'm talking to my guests, I have to pee. <laughs> you, you think that's just cause you're getting older. <laughs> I think it's cause I drink 12 <laughs> cups of coffee and then sit down and talk to you guys. Nice. Yeah. There was a show I used to watch on TV called mad men. And, uh -huh. the, and the guy was always drinking and smoking cigarettes in it. Mm -hmm. And whenever I would watch the show, it would make me want to, I never even drank hard liquor, but I used to smoke cigarettes as a kid. And it would make me want to, um, uh, when I mean kid, I mean like 25. Um, I would want to um, drink hard alcohol and smoke. And um, 
now for the last, you know, whatever many years I've been preaching, hey, don't, don't eat sugar, don't eat sugar, don't eat sugar. And I don't usually post anything of me doing anything bad. And someone's like, are you telling me you don't eat any sugar? And I'm like, no, I do eat some sugar. I do drink alcohol. But what I'm saying is, is it doesn't make me a hypocrite. What I'm trying to do is be a good um, human, a good role model. Do you know what I mean by that? I'm, oh, yeah. I, 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 I'm not going to post a picture. I'm not going to get on my account while I'm drinking. I'm not going to get on my Instagram account while I have a 12 pack of Budweiser in front of me. Um, I'm not going to lie to someone about it if they ask it. And the reason why I bring this up to you is I think what happened to you was, is you were taking personal responsibility for yourself and the, and unbeknownst to you over the three years that you've been on this journey, your people are, people are, you're, you're influencing people. People are like, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, the first initial response, like, man, that was never a goal. Like that was never like, Ooh, I want to be a health ambassador. I want to do this one. It was like, man, I want to take care of me. <laughs> like I want to be there for my wife. I want to be there for my kids. Like, man, when you feel terrible and I mean, you just feel like a worthless human. Like I, I would come home from practicing or whatever and then go straight to bed, you know, just try to wake up so I could go. And, and I mean, you're not just trying to get up and go to work. You're trying to go out and play and compete against the best golfers in the world. You know, it's like you're on a knife's edge every single day as far as, you know, a margin of error. And, you know, that is just, Everyone's like, oh, you did it. You got healthy for golf. Or you did this. Like, man, golf was not even a consideration. It was your and, kids in your life. You didn't want to die. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to be that. Like, I didn't want to be that, you know, I hate the word like absentee father, but I mean, essentially, that's what I was, that's what the route that I was headed. Cause there's no way I could have sustained, you know, I would be there in physical presence, but not, you know, you know, the way, hey, I want to go chase my kids around. Like, I want to be the one that's like, hey, I'm going to go wear my kid out. Like, we're going to go run. And uh, I saw, we got this little bike route over by the practice facility where I go to here in Knoxville. And it's about a like a, a five and a half, six mile loop. And we're going, it's like, my goal is to beat my son on his bike. And right now, you're on right foot. Now, and you're on foot. I, I'm on foot and he's on his bike. That's cool. And right now he is kicking my butt, <laughs> but I mean, he can churn it out. I mean, he can go, I mean, he's seven, he can churn it on the bike pretty good, but I mean, in order for me to do it, I'd have to hold about a under a six thirty pace for, for almost six miles, which I mean, that's pretty good for me. Uh, but that's like, I, I, I want to be the one that's like, all right, you know, we're, I, we're going, I'm going to ride my bike and my dad's going to run. I better bring it. Or, I mean, he's going to crush me because I would never let him hear the end of it, but I just different things like that. And you know, you want to play basketball, you want to go wrestle in the backyard, whatever you want to do. Like I'm ready for it. My job is not going to define my ability to, to be the, the dad and the husband that you guys deserve. Do you have any fear that you're changing your body composition would have affected your um, game? I guess your stroke, or is that just horseshit? The mind playing tricks on you excuses. Everyone try. Oh, well, you did this. You had success early in your career, man. If I didn't make the changes I made, I wouldn't be able to play anymore. I'd been off the tour. I'd have been. I don't know. Come and work for you. I don't know. <laughs> so, so well, then you would have got skinny. Would have killing the fat man with with Scott Stallings. It's Stallings with an S at the end. Correct. Yeah, you should drop that too hard. Um, Scott <laughs> Stalling and the Stallings family. Um, Correct. 
going back to that question, but did it affect anything? Like, do you have any? It sounds like you don't want it. Like, maybe it did the way you're answering the question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I get, you know, I did this podcast uh, probably two weeks ago. And the guy was basically like challenging, like how, how high intensity uh, training in any type of realm would be detrimental to golf. And I said, man, at some point, do you start to think that every single 24 hours of my day are devoted to my career and my job? And he's like, well, I guess. I was like, well, your guess is incorrect. And I mean, I did uh, Frazier's podcast probably three weeks ago. I'm sorry. And he said, man, <laughs> I said, he said, there's time and a place where, you know, that is my sole focus, but it cannot be like all day, every day. You have to get out of your own head and, and find, and that's where CrossFit became, you know, very appealing to me. You know, I could go, cause our days are super long. They're very monotonous. Uh, around a golf on tour takes five and a half hours. Um, and that's just to play. That's not to prep. That's not to all the stuff that goes into it. And, I wanted something where I could kind of get that out. Golf is very counterintuitive to my personality. And, you know, so your personality? I, yeah, like I want to like hammer it down. <laughs> and so I remember one of the, the first couple wow. of workouts I did, I didn't know who any of these girls were. And a friend of mine was like, we're going to do the, some girl workouts. I was like, Oh, but I just thought that he just thought that, that that little of my physical ability that we're going to do, do these girl workouts. And it was Helen, Karen, and uh, those are the first two I ever did. And Diane, Fran. Uh, well, Fran was like a, a little bit later. And I remember I, I did Fran and I scaled too. I used every band that was in the gym to do 45 pull-ups. <laughs> awesome. Like I was – I just was cranking them. And I, I think the first time I did it, uh, I used a 95 pound bar. Uh, and I think I did like nine minutes, you know, just under nine, something like that. And I was like, I'm right. Here we go. And then I started like, I didn't know what all these like crossfit.com and beyond the what all these different ways for people to go and see what scores were. And I was like, somebody did that two minutes. And <laughs> like, who are these people? <laughs> and uh, so, and then I did the the nasty girls workout, and I was like, whoever these girls are, they hate, they hate everyone. <laughs> I don't know who they name these people after, but these are the meanest women ever. Because I the, I feel awful. <laughs> like I, the first time I did Karen, I like I, I couldn't I couldn't drive home. <laughs> My legs were wrecked. You got thrown I into the like, fire. I've done like 10 wall balls in my life ever. And then they were like, we're going to, we're going to do this wall ball work. I was like, Oh, 150. That's not that bad. And like halfway in, I was like, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to make it to the first, the, the men's height. I'm going to go to the women's. And I like, I just blew up my legs. But the, but the idea of that, of you could go into, you know, your monotonous day of playing and practicing and, and folks on your sport. And then you could just get out of your own head and for 15 minutes, be completely miserable, laying on the ground and, you know, contemplating every one of your life's decisions and get up and be like, man, I feel great. Let's do that again. And that immediately sparked an interest to in me and, you know, how you could take the, the same workout and do it seven different ways and get seven completely different results just by the way that you plan it out. And I was like, I like this. It was a way, 
you know, cause in golf, there's all what everyone tries to figure out what different ways to practice and prepare and, and do different things to work on your game. But for the most part, you're kind of in the same lane, you know, there's different tweaks as far as here and there, but for the most part, I mean, it's trying to be the most efficient you possibly can throughout your sport and CrossFit's very similar, but the ways to kind of, you know, change that up a little bit, you have a lot more options. And I, I like that a lot. Um, it's funny. You said they get out of your own head. There's nothing, you know, there's this Taoist saying, stop thinking and all your problems will go away. <laughs> and I always tell someone who's like complaining or frustrated. I'm like, Hey dude, the answer is at a hundred burpees. They're like, what? I'm like, do a hundred burpees. The answer for whatever your problem is, is at the end. <laughs> you know, it's like, you just take that moment to get out of your head. And for sure, man. I like, I, I feel like, there is a lot of what I do that um, all my guys I train with now, they're like, man, you know, are you okay? Like, you know, did you get sunburned today? Like just try to make fun of how soft golfers are. It's like, you know, did, did you get sand on your foot? Like while you practice? And I was like, guys, these are the MMA all, guys and the baseball guys yeah, making fun of you. Yeah. They just make fun of me and we're actually playing tomorrow. They're, they are playing me which is going to be comical um, as far as like, as we all start to kind of get back into our normal like sporting life. But it's like just the idea that I'm going to go in there with these group of guys, we have completely different jobs, but we understand the professional mentality of we are at the peak of our sport as individuals, but we're going to come together with the collective mind that man, we're going to suffer together and we're all going to come out better on the other side. And we got a call, uh, a call set up right when basically all sports got shut down and said, man, we're going to have a time in this, who knows how long we're going to be shut down and we're going to come out and we're going to be the most fit and most just mentally hardened we could possibly be during this time. And man, we have had some, we have had some absolutely just sessions, (laughs) I would say. And this is by no means putting any kind of challenge or any kind of, trying to hold a candle to a, you know, typical games athlete or anything like that. But for guys that, you know, technically have other jobs that are, you know, somewhat physically demanding, debatable on my job, but I could make this say some stakes every now and then, but I mean, it's been great to see. And, um, and I just think that suffering just a hundred burpees is a great thing, but you know, man, go suffer a little bit, go put yourself, go write something down on a board and just deal with it and know that it's going to hurt, know that it's going to you know, push you beyond your limits and just see what you're capable of. And it's amazing what you can when you write a workout down that you basically know as you're writing it that there's zero chance that you could finish it. Wow. It's a big, a big challenge of that. Wow. And uh, people who are listening out there, let's put a little disclaimer. If you're in your 20s and 30s, go ahead and do that. If you're in your 40s and 50s, uh, make sure you write another workout before that workout that warms you the fuck up. <laughs> man i'm 48 and i gotta be like i i I gotta be like sweating before i start like yeah we it's crazy one of of the other guys adam curley who travels with us on the pga tour works with you know six six players and he's a pt by trade and he's 46 years old oh we'll be 46 and maintains this every day man and just holds the candle yeah i saw some videos of him he looks he looks yoked he looks like do you know who chris cooper is out of canada yeah, I mean, he's like he be related to Chris Cooper. He is very, he's in very good shape. Uh, yeah. And so we, we have battles, uh, him and the UFC fighter and me and the baseball guy, we kind of split it up and we, uh, we had a two man, uh, two man team battle today 
we had three different exercises or three different workouts and timed each one of them and basically added our cumulative time up together to see, you know, who won. And so you're just mostly time just so we can talk trash to the other guys for a day. Cause the next guys are going to crush us the next, just depending on whatever we do. The bigger guys on the high volume body weight workouts, especially like push-ups and pull-ups, we get killed on that one. But anything lower body, we got it. <laughs> Earlier, you said that um, something about basically, I forget how you worded it, but basically you like to put the pedal to the metal, which is not something you get to do in golf. You like to just get on it and romp on it. Is there a profile for a professional golfer? Like of those 125 guys, could you stereotype um, 36 of them for me. I mean, sorry, 36% of them or 33% of them for me. Like, is there any, like, okay, if you're a golfer, you're going to be. For the most part, everyone that plays any professional sport, but especially golf, you're going to have some type of neurotic tendency, you know, whatever it is. Um, just because so much of what we do is the same day in, day out. So your life starts to you know, become that way. You know, whether it good thing or bad thing, it just it just happens. I mean, so many days are like Groundhog Day, especially at a tournament. You know, you wake up, you prep, go to the course, play, practice, do your thing, rest, recover, sleep, do it again. And so it's to say, you know, the mundane and monotonous stuff kind of becomes and people try to do the best they possibly can to make sure that outside of a, a tournament that that doesn't happen. And but some guys example of what happens like 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 always you're under like when you pack your clothes it always has to go underwear shirt socks pants because you're a golfer and like everything has to be like you have to have structure in every fucking thing you do or like what do you mean like you don't want it to get outside of your life yeah i think a lot of it too like all right you get your routine in a tournament like all right i'm i'm i got two weeks off and I wake up Monday after I've just been on the road for seven weeks and you're like, where's my egg white spinach and jalapeno omelet? Like this guy's not making it. Oh, I, I got to make it. I don't know how to make it. And then it's like just this panic sets in. It's like, Oh, I got to go play another tournament. Cause this is the only life I know. And you know, and I say that too, like I was the best in the world at it before I had kids, but, but man, you know, you got two little guys com- depending on you. Like, it kind of they'll take you out of your own routine as well because you know i mean they sacrifice a lot for what i do for a living and so the opportunity for me to come back in and just be dad and not this you know professional golfer and you know you know what are we making today and you're just trying to figure out how to do that that's helped me tremendously but if i was going to give a profile i'd say some kind of neurotic tendency uh hyper-focused a and none of these things are necessarily bad, but uh, very, very routine, very routine. And they get a certain way they like of how they like to do things and, um, you know, don't really like to be told otherwise and uh, kind of take it from there. You look, you sound like you want some balance in your life or balance in your life or that golfing isn't the most important thing in your life. So then the question uh, is, is that why you haven't won the FedEx cup? Because you got your priorities all fucked up. Who, who knows, man? I, I, I may have my priorities right where they need to be. And, Absolutely. But I still like the way and, I asked it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's great. But I, I think like I would, I'm not going to let, you know, so much of my time in my life has been defined by what I do on my golf course. And 
man, I love my job. I'm working harder than I ever have to be the best I possibly can be. So I'll cut and say, are there other things that are important to me as well? Yes, there are. But when I step out there and they call my name on that first tee, that's my focus and all the prep that goes up into that. But I've definitely learned to compartmentalize a little bit. Uh, I asked Frazier what he did when he, when the game's over, he said, I literally don't work out until I hate looking at myself in the mirror. And I think that, you know, which is probably like two or three days at least. Yeah. Well, we were sharing some uh, cheat meals that when I did his, it was like, man, you ate all that. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, but I think just learning to figure out a way to kind of get away from it so that when you go back and do it, it's like, man, I do love this. I do. I love, I love going back and and being in there. And I think especially talking to some other guys that do do what I do for a living, like we got March 14th is when we got taken off the course in Jacksonville. And like, I mean, I didn't touch a club for almost six weeks. And just and all my, I, I had friends of mine like you're not playing, you're not practicing. It's like yes, and it's okay. It is okay. Do you, and do you think it's made? So let me follow up here. Then do you think it's made you a better player to have balance? Or do you think that maybe you're lying to yourself if you say yes? Do you think that like you're just maybe okay just being on the tour? Do you think that maybe being obsessed and not being happy is what you have to do to win? Like what do you have the formula? Have you? With your formula, could you still win the FedEx Cup? Yeah, I definitely think, though, as we get to the point where just change is inevitable and everything, and a huge change with what going on with my family as far as them being with me on the road all the time and then trying to understand what that looks like of them not traveling, to go from basically traveling 90% of the year to now traveling 10% of the year and the balance of what that looks like at home and on the road because I just have so much more time when I'm on the road to be able to do all the stuff and, and put the hammer down. So that happened. Be- That's real. You went from yeah. traveling 90 as a pro golfer. You had a, uh, a version of you that traveled 90% of the year and you're still a pro golfer. And there's a version that only travels 10% of the year because you have all your tournaments at no. one end. No, I was saying that my family went from basically traveling oh. 90 with me 90% of the time. Sorry. To now uh, about, about 10% of the year. And man, that's different. And, yes. you know, all the prep work and everything that goes into it. So I had to kind of balance, you know, practice and prep on the road and at home a little bit different where I'm on the road. That's all I have to do. So uh, it it's definitely a balance. But I, I think I have a way better uh, perspective is good, but I, understanding of like truly what I'm trying to do when I'm out there. And I would say I've become fairly outspoken uh, to some of my fellow players that when I'm out there, especially, man, I just cannot stand complaining. Like, man, you're, you're one of the best players in the world. You're treated like a King everywhere you go. You're playing for millions of dollars every single week and not a person out here is rude to you. And you're just trying to figure out a way to have a bad day. Like no one went and got you out of bed and told you, you had to do this. Like if this is your attitude, stay at home, man. Like, I'm not going to miss you. Like a perspective of like, at some point, at some point, you have to have an attitude of gratefulness and understanding that, like, we're truly blessed to have the opportunity to be out there and do that. that do you dole out you the tough love like that? Do you dole out that tough love? One hundred percent, man. I just cannot stand, especially like 
being frustrated and disappointed with bad rounds and bad shots is one thing, but man, when you start taking it out on volunteers and tournament staff and just have an attitude of entitlement and ungratefulness, I just cannot handle that. So I'm not scared, man. I'll fire right into anybody. When I see that your best score ever is 60, does mm-hmm. that mean that you and a bunch of clubs and a ball had a starting point and ending point 18 times and the average amount of times it took you to hit that ball into that hole in those 18 <laughs> attempts is 3.33333 repeating? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that, one I'm way trying to understand golf. I mean, I know so little about golf, but 60 means it took you 60 strokes to get the ball – into the from hole the fir- from, times. From, from the first tee to the 18th green and 60 shots. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Does that ruin you to have a score like that? Then your whole life you're like just chasing that and trying to beat that. When did that happen? How old no. are you? That was in 20, uh, 2015, maybe. So, yeah, something like that. Uh, <laughs> but my, my lowest score ever in my life is 58. And that was – so if you say that to another professional golfer, like is that a faux pas? Like, hey, you can't be talking about something you just got on some random course with your son. You got to keep it what's in the what's in the. No, term. I mean, I, I, I caveat, hey, my career best score in my entire life is 58. My best career tournament score is 60. Okay, okay. And that's kind of like – Did you win any hard. money with hey, that 58? I did. I <laughs> laid it to him. That was a good – that was a good day. Tell me, tell me, it was just a one-on-one you and some rich CEO saying he's going to take you out and bust you. And no, no, uh, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen near, you know, when you can Google someone's golf accomplishments uh, and understanding like they are truly one of the best players in the world. It's like, I'm not going to roll into, you know, Froning's gym and be like, Hey man, you're going to do some muscle ups. Like, right. no, <laughs> I'm going to watch you do those. I'm going to go over here and do some like, uh, ring roast, <laughs> right? <laughs> Something right. like that. So, I mean, that doesn't necessarily happen, but I was playing in a men's game at my home course where I grew up and I blacked out one day and just went off. And, uh, you know, 58 shots later, it was awesome. I loved it. So, is, is that a joke? What do you mean you blacked out? <laughs> no, you just like when a situation like that, you know, every round has the potential to, to have that happen. You have the one shot or you have. And then you look up and you're like, man, I just shot 58. And you don't even like, you don't even realize that you're just so tunnel vision and, you know, everything is going in and like the hole looks like a wash bucket. You know, it almost like you can do nothing wrong. I mean, those days are very few and far between, but when it does happen, it, it's literally like you get done. And you're like, I have no idea what I shot. I was going to ask you about that. I was watching some of your, some, I was watching a bunch of video clips of you last night hitting the ball. And like, just to me, a layman, like, you know, like birdies and eagles and just like, you know, like just all the stuff, you, the, the videos they have on the PGA.com. And sometimes it like, not sometimes every time I'm like, this fucking guy just walks up and hits the ball. And like, yeah. I'm looking for like, t- I mean, I didn't, you know, I haven't seen a thousand clips of you, but I'm looking like for tendencies or rituals you have, or, and I couldn't spot, I couldn't, you know, just quickly spot anything. And I'm thinking like, there must be some fine on here. <laughs> there must be some fine line between over concentrating and under concentrating. And like, I was like, Oh, I wonder if he ever plays a hole and is like, God damn it. I was thinking about my kids the whole time and I fucked this whole hole up. I wasn't even, I wasn't even here. Yeah. My, that all, like a lot of that process happens behind the ball. So it's like, 
all right, I'm I'm basically perpendicular to the ball to the target, and now when I turn uh, parallel to the ball, so like we we have to hit the ball from the side, we don't hit the ball from the back. So basically, like this is my talking, like I can talk about whatever I want, and I'm basically explaining what I'm going to do. But as soon as my sh- shoulder turns, nothing. That's it. It's all about execution, and like I'm, be- you know. I- there's a time to be reactive and there's a time to be responsive. And those are, you know, kind of a happy balance between the two reaction takes nothing response takes thought. And, you know, I give the analogy that you and I are having dinner one night and the world's deadliest bug is crawling up your neck and you can't feel it. And I slap it. I basically save your life and you just react and reach, reach across and just knock me out. And I'm knocked out. My nose is bloody. And you're like, why did you hit me in the neck? It's like, well, I actually just killed that bug that was about to you know, eat your neck. You just reacted to the situation and didn't take into account that, hey, my buddy's trying to actually take care of me here. And so a lot of stuff that we do with junior golf and college golf and different things is basically trying to teach a player to be less reactive where you kind of take the emotional side out of it and learn how to respond to situations with a little bit of thought. Boy, that was like, I think like 10% of that resonated with me. Um, <laughs> meaning, meaning that went over my head a little bit. Are you familiar with like a, a Zen tea party? Like basically yeah. like all the rituals you go through to pouring the tea and it brings you into this sort of this um, mental state of equanimity and peace. And, and it's, it's not about drinking the tea. It's about the process, the journey of getting the tea in the cup. Is that... Is that what you're telling me? You you do have that process as you approach the ball that there is, there are these steps and things going on between your ears and as your body rotates where you're leaving your mind and entering your body. And I wouldn't necessarily get as like philosophic as that. I would say that, I mean, it's, it's truly a physical thing. Like, you know, everyone has physical cues, you know, you know what you're looking for. If I told you how to deadlift, you'd be like, this is what I focus on when I pick the bar up off the ground the same mentality. You have your checklist. All right. And then next thing you know, like when you get in a good position to pick the bar up off the ground, what are you thinking about? Nothing. Cause the, all the work has been done. You're in the position. Now it's time for you to go and execute and do it. Or if I said, man, how do you do a burpee? All right. This is what I think about when I go down, but when it, you're, you're repping out a hundred and you're just suffering through it, man, you're sitting there you're making sure your chest hits the ground. You're pop up, shoot up off the ground. I'm going to do it again. It's and all just about, making kind of minor tweaks in real time in order to just get more and more efficient. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I think that you're not sitting there. All right, I'm going to put my hands on the ground. I'm going to shoot my feet back. I'm going to slowly let my chest down. No, it's man. I'm up, down, up, down in the same situation. I'm not sitting there trying to just like work on the entire anatomy of a burpee going up and going down. I mean, same thing in golf. I know my shot. I know my yardage. I'm trying to go execute it the best I can. As someone just from the outside, it seems like golf's just fascinating to me because it seems like it would be impossible to get good at it. Do you know what I mean? It's just (laughs) like, I mean, it's just, it just seems like there's just too many factors. The ball is too small. You have to hit it too far. The stick is weird. It's just amazing that you guys get good at it. It, Yeah. uh, I gave our buddy that plays for the nationals, uh, you know, guy just won the World Series and he calls and he's like, hey, I'm going to go play golf with some guys. I need you to help me. And literally guys at, at the top of his sport and what he does and you bring him into 
the golf world and he's just like a complete like tell me what to do and it, golf i mean anything can make you humble but i mean i'm feel like i'm one of the best players in the world and, and golf still humbles me every single day because it's it's oh, something that's good you to can, hear that's great to you hear. can you can just like fitness and i think that's why both sides resonate you can always improve like the guy that that said he was his goal is to you know i'm gonna try to run a 5k in this when he gets done he's already thinking about what he's going to do to beat it the next time and same thing that when i shot 60 on tour i made a bogey so i'm already i think about that eight footer that i missed like even now i tell, i can tell you it was the it was the seventh hole you know this is what we did I hit it up there. I three putted and I made a bogey. And so instead of a, been, you I, don't see it as a 60, you're like, I could have got a 59. Yeah. I think about, but then also on the other side, like man, I hold it from the fairway on a shot. Like there's just a lot of things happen when you have scores that are that low. But I mean, I can show, I can remember 100% the putt that I missed for bogey uh, that I ended up leading to making a bogey. Um, there's nowhere to hide in gold. Not the same. No, because it's all on you. It's nowhere to hide. Purely individual sport. And there's so little. There's so little going on. It's just like you have this stick and you're hitting this ball, and and like it. It. There's just. There's no one trying to stop you. There's no one to blame. There's no like, oh my god, Michael Jordan swatted my golf ball. I mean, it's just you <laughs> fucking up. Yeah, I mean, it's ultimately it relies upon which I like too. And you know, I'm I'm the only person. I can't sit there and call my coach. I can't blame my caddy. I can't do this because ultimately like I'm the decision maker. I'm the one that has to go out there and execute. And um, so, you know, people are trying to look for people to blame and, and, you know, kind of dispel responsibility to, but man, the guy that does that's not going to operate very long. It's not going to be very successful. Have you ever hit, um, well, well, tell me some of the things you've hit with balls that like weren't supposed to be hit. Have you ever hit a person with a ball? Yeah. I hit the same uh, volunteer in Canada back to back days. Wow, what are the odds of that? Uh, the back to back days, the same lady. You mean like she's like down? Was she down the what is it, the fairway, the golf course? Yeah. So basically, just imagine like a hole that works right to left, uh-huh. and you had a chance to like you could hit it out here. You could basically like be super aggressive and like hit it over these trees. Well, I hit it over the trees, but like I hit it through the fairway where these volu- these volunteers were. They were kind of you know corralling all the people around the fairway and I drilled her and where did it hit her one like hit her like right in the leg. And then the next day I one hopped it in her pocket. Like we had to get a ruling like to come and they had to basically not get to drop it and whatever. But the same way I knew I told my kid, cause you can't really see where the ball ends. And I just told my caddy, it's like, if that lady's there again, sure enough, we turned the corner and I was like, oh my goodness. Cause I basically hit the exact same shot I hit the day before. Hey, was she and hot? She, no, she's about 65 years old. She wasn't 65 and hot? No. Here, here's my theory. I, I, here's my theory. When I play Frisbee, I can always tell like when I, like I'm at the beach and like you throw a bad throw and it goes into a group of hot chicks. It's because like I was looking over there, you know, like the Frisbee <laughs> goes where you throw it. You know what I mean? Or like if I want to throw it really hard at someone and I miss them, it's because I really didn't have the like the tenacity to really hit them with the Frisbee. So I'm thinking there's some hot chick down the fairway two days in a row. And instead of paying attention to what you're doing, you just drilled her. No, bad unfortunately, I, I, I could. Yeah, yeah, that's probably that's probably a bad theory. Maybe maybe at some other tournaments, but 
this lady was super nice. And I mean, if you've ever met anyone from Canada, they're just very nice. It's impossible for them to say anything bad. So, I mean, she could have been super pissed that I hit her, but she was very nice. And uh, thankfully didn't say anything bad about me, but yeah, that's in of all the things that I've hit in my career, um, hitting the same lady back to back days was uh, definitely up there. And the odds of that are very small. (laughs) When, when very small have you actually ever heard of anyone doing that uh no i've like seen some bad i've seen some bad hits though not myself hitting but actually the worst in my career was re- revolved around a situation where i did not hit someone so it's the same situation you kind of you had a chance to be real aggressive with a driver or you can kind of lay up over here well i was super aggressive and hit it up and i'm you know, kind of pushed it offline a little bit was we get up over the hill. You can't see where your ball lands. There's a, you know, you know, kind of middle-aged dad with a, uh, probably a eight or nine year old kid. And the kid is laying on the ground and the dad's like neural massaging, like rubbing him. And I start freaking out, like running, like we're calling in EMTs. We're calling every, what I mean, I've just in my mind, I've just killed a kid. And my son, this was a long time ago. My son was about three months old. So first time dad, I see this little boy on the ground, all the emotions that you could imagine coming into it. And just like, I mean, we need any person that has any medical to come help the situation. And so everyone in our groups involved, uh, every, everything that take. And so we start running this was years ago. So I was running pretty slow. <laughs> I felt like I was running <laughs> fast. Uh, and just man, and I get about 10 feet from him and the kid pops up and the dad's like, gotcha. Oh, and, and I, was, <laughs> I, I just like, I, I told the kid, I said, you just, you did what your dad told you to do, but you guys cannot do that. Like, and my caddy would like my caddy had to be like held back. My my caddy knew everything that was happening to me. knew I'm a new father. You know the emotions of hitting anyone is rough. But you seeing like I'm just visioning my son laying. This on the was ground. at the PGA Tour. This was at a tournament. This was in San Antonio. You you know and what these. You know what's kind of yeah. cool about that? One time before I had kids, my wife told me on April Fool's that she was pregnant, and I didn't know it was April Fool's. And I was actually just about to go into a big meeting, like 30 minutes before, and she goes, I'm pregnant. And and she didn't course correct me for like three hours, and my whole brain was reeling, like, oh, my God, I got to do all this shit with my life, and I got to do this, and I can't believe I'm going to have a kid, and blah, blah, blah. We weren't even married at the time. I was just freaking out, right? And then she told me <laughs> April Fool's. And I, I want, I mean, this is a little different. No, no one was hurt, but I wanted to get upset at, at her, but I quickly caught myself. I'm like, wow, what a great free, I just got a free experience. Like a, it was like being in a, a virtual, a, a virtual reality chamber. You know what I mean? Oh, that's how I'm going to react. Sure. Like a little bitch, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, situations like that are definitely different, but Especially when you have more and more to play, right? He sent your adrenaline through the roof. He changed your whole being and you have more to play. Yeah. My caddy was like beyond furious to the point. Like, is that on the internet somewhere? Did someone film that? No, my, the, it, it got to the point where the dad had to be escorted off. Like it, it was that uncomfortable, which I mean, that sucks for that kid too. I mean, he just, 
I mean, if I if I told my son to lay down on the ground and act like you know someone hit him, my son's like, sure. My dad told me to do it. Let's do it. Some Borat and, shit or Johnny Knoxville shit. Yeah, man. Which is just it's crazy how it all worked out. But that to get back to your what I hit, but my the craziest one was the one that involved I didn't hit him, but right. they made it seem like I the did. shot that in the awful. pocket's cool. Have you have you broken a window? Uh, no, because you're going to, I saw that video of you shooting them out of your, uh, gym. No, no. If I hit my, if I hit my house, I definitely need to quit. So, <laughs> that shows how little yeah, I understand so, about golf. Because when I see you hitting that, I'm like, my God, how is he doing that? Here, how do you flip the camera? You actually see, so this is my little office. I'm not in there very much. And that's actually, there you see my kit the kids out there that's my son and his buddy but that's actually where the gym is and you see where the hitting mat goes so i kind of got to hit it right over the top of where i am has so. anyone hit your house have you had any buddies over and they hit the house uh no um there i got some land to the left of where i live and we uh <laughs> there's been a few guys i uh, try to hit a couple but they most of the time go our left down the driveway I, I, when I was a kid, I don't know, 16, 17, I had a friend who was, it was also the friend I've only gone golfing with. He, 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 we snuck onto a course and, and he, I think it was like in the fifth grade and he just gave me a putter and I played the whole course with the putter at night. But, um, this guy also was into baseball and after baseball games, he would want to get autographs. And one time we were in Oakland, we were in Oakland A's game and we went to a hotel like a Hilton that's nearby there after the game. And it was us and just like, 30 of the hottest women you've ever seen. And they weren't there for autographs. Does the PGA tour have that too? Like just like hot chicks, like looking for eligible young golfers to, to, you know, to, to be their Prince Charming. I'm trying to paint it in a nice light. Pro shoppers. Is it? Yeah. Is that what they're called? So they do have them pro shoppers. Yeah, you can definitely tell a difference between a wife and a girlfriend solely based on what shoes they wear. Wow. Like you're not you're not gonna catch my wife like a rainy day, like in some like Louis Vuittons. I mean, she's gonna be in some like not to say that I mean my wife definitely has some shoes that she could wear, but just like, all right, I'll put my time in. Like I know what I'm about to have to go deal with. I'm gonna go watch my husband play and I'm not gonna go trounce around the mud in my, you know, whatever. And, but it is like, you can see like the ones that are all dolled up and then like the moms are like the ones that have definitely put their time in and you know, kind of everything that goes on with that. Do all you guys stay at the same hotel? All the golfers? No, I try to stay away from everyone. Like in a VRBO or? Yeah. Airbnb or rent a house and just where you have a little bit more control of the situation. I like to cook and, you know, I stay with some other guys that play on tour, some good buddies of mine. And, you know, just the opportunity to kind of get away and manage from there. Um, so you go to the doctor, he gives you all this news, you find out you don't have to die, you quit the Dr. Pepper, you begin your journey to health. Where does CrossFit come in? How, how does that pop up on your radar? It kind of uh, slowly but surely. I mean, I knew Rich through college and um, no shit. We, yeah. So did you go to Tennessee but, Tech? I did. Okay. So I'm a year older. I'm a year, I'm a year older than he is. Uh, so we had a bunch of mutual friends, and you know, started doing some training and started doing this, started doing that, and 
you know, we didn't know each other in college. We knew each other after the fact and you kind of start figuring it all out. And, you know, just like, I mean, imagine you start playing basketball and you have access to Michael Jordan. Right. Right. I know that's weird. (laughs) Michael Jordan is your like practice buddy. And, you know, Rich is very gracious with his time and different, like different things. And it kind of just helped me through the processes. Hey, try that. And, you know, kind of point me down the, you know, the path of, you know, kind of figuring out, but also like, I mean, I'd been training for a little bit and started figuring out and December, 2017, uh, he sent me a text and he said, Hey, I just started this diet plan. I think you, I think they would help you a lot. It's like, all right, he's on a diet. I probably should be on a diet. (laughs) And so he introduced me to the RP strength guys. And so from January 7th, 2018 to, Almost the middle of September, right at right at almost, I went from two thirty two to one eighty five and ten and a half uh, in about ten months, and I played through the whole thing. So, pretty cool program footage. those guys in Charlotte have. And have there's set some up. footage of you. Um, there's some footage of you. To be quite frank, where your eyes look a little red and you you're starting to look a little thin, and I think it was probably like. I'm guessing it's somewhere in there. Like, the, like it looked like you were had maybe lost too much weight even. No? Yeah. I mean, honestly, and that's where the balance comes between kind of last season is the only season I can re- ever remember in my life where I, I got into the 170s and I wasn't trying. Like, I was eating. I was – but when just like when you start turning over the engine and it starts working, and it's like, all right, I like the way this feels and you almost don't take in enough. So – I got down to 177, Ooh. 175. Okay. And I was like, no, I can't do this. And you start building up a little bit, you know, better understanding and, you know, how to, you know, manage all that. But last year was the, where I, I legitimately try, I was trying to do everything I possibly could to keep weight on. And uh, it's been a unique journey to try to figure all that stuff out. But now, man, the the lifting and the stuff that we've done, during this quarantine time, it's, it's fairly aggressive. So I definitely have, will have some nice reserve as far as when we start getting going back on the road. So they send you these meals. I've seen you show them and they're basically in a little plastic container. You peel the lid off, you fry it or you cook it or you warm it up or whatever you do. And then you eat it. Yeah. And you basically mm-hmm. have to stay within that sort of caloric nutritional, whatever they give you. Right. And you were saying that, um, you know, after you, I think you said you basically take it one day at a time. And one of the things that you really focus on is, is if you do have a cheat meal, never have to have two cheat meals in a row that it's always like, you, you kind of had a, a phrase behind why you do that. I'll never have two bad meals in a row. Yeah. I mean, I just think, you know, just like anything, if like you, you shouldn't, oh, sorry, hat. you shouldn't have a cheat day. It's okay to yeah, have a cheat, cheat meal. Right. Sorry. Go on. Yeah. I mean, and you, you start talking about like, you're basically, you were talking about the sugar content and the math of everything like that. I mean, if you understand of any part of uh, just caloric values and everything and averages, and I know it doesn't physiologically work out exactly this way, but if you're a 2000 calorie guy and and you're training and you're doing everything for six days and you take in 10,000 calories in that cheat day, the average out over the course of the week is surplus. And surplus eats to weight gain, you know, fat, con- everything. And it's just, you're, 
you know, shooting an elephant with a BB gun is essentially what you're doing. You think you're doing something that eventually will cause greatness, but eventually you just slowly, but surely you're just pissing the elephant off <laughs> and it's going to turn around and stomp you. Yeah. And so understanding just kind of how to, you know, your body processes those kind of things and, and help it from there. But the trifecta guys have been great. The RP strength guys have been great. And they have a, I mean, I, I sent for almost 52 straight. And I sent Monday morning at about 7 a.m. a picture in my underwear with my body weight to a person that I had never, even to this day, have never met. I've talked to him on the phone, FaceTime, Zoom a bunch of times, but. I've you seen those pictures on a, on a few porn sites. They're cool. That guy's making a killing on the side. <laughs> no, he signed up. That was the first thing. I, when I talked to Nick Shaw, that was the first thing I said. is like, hey, I'm paying for this. You're not using this for marketing. This is so <laughs> – I'm not doing this for anyone other than me. So uh, that was one of the first things that I did. And, uh, but, I mean, you're talking about accountability. It worked, and they got me sorted out pretty quick. Are you the fittest golfer on the tour? Uh, as far as probably total uh, ability to kind of go across all genres, probably. Like, um, there, like there, there are guys can we put a challenge in, out to any guy on the tour? Like, hey, you want a piece? You want a piece of uh, <laughs> Scott Stallings? Let's bring him over to the barn or let's do, a, let's do something over at Mayhem for some charity or something. Uh-oh, I lost you. Yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. I, I thought I, I do not disturb. Uh, you got me? I'm back. Yeah, yeah, we're so casual. You can disturb all you want. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've trained with quite a few guys on tour now, and, you know, I do it a little bit different than most. Um, but, you know, I think everyone just, especially just starting to see some of the physical changes, like, man, I want to kind of see what he did to make some of that stuff happen and, and go from there. But, um I know for certain there's a few guys I definitely wouldn't want to train with. Well, like my buddy Camilo Vajegas, who's like a borderline Tour de France bike rider. I have zero interest in that. <laughs> I'll go ride a bike for, you know, a few miles and that'd be it. I, I could do a biker workout for an hour and be fine, but he wants to go like ride the border of Florida. It's like, <laughs> I am out. <laughs> I am out on that. And I know there's some guys, some yoga guys and, you know, maybe a little bit more like traditional, like, you know, bodybuilding style workouts. I'm not necessarily overly interested in that. I like to try to do a little bit of everything. I actually have been running way more. Uh, I knew I had to do some kind of like long steady state cardio with some of the lifting that we were doing. Or man, I was just going to blow up. And so that's been good. Uh, I've always enjoyed running for some reason, even though I've, at one time in my life, I was very, 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 very bad at it. <laughs> How much so, more do you love golf clothes now that you're fit? Are you well, stoked? I, I get to wear you like this colored shirt. But you wouldn't wear that <laughs> no. out. You wouldn't wear that out for like you have to wear a collared shirt, right? Mm -hmm. And tuck it in and all that. You guys have a dress code. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like it would <laughs> yeah. be so much better, like without that thing clinging to your gut and you always pulling it off all the time. And now you just get to go out there and be like, "Yeah, I look good. I just focus on my game." Yeah. I I don't think I necessarily thought about that before. I had some outfits that probably weren't as aesthetically pleasing. I played the Masters one time. I had to wear these white pants and white belt and this like pale green shirt. That was a tough look. <laughs> and uh, like you look like a pear out there or what? Yeah, like a like 
not even a round one, kind of like a, a dimply one, like one that you would look get in the grocery store and kind of be like, you'd take it to the clerk and be like, y'all shouldn't sell this. <laughs> Six pages of notes. It's a new record for me. Well, it just shows your uh, completely lack of knowledge on a sport that you know nothing about. <laughs> okay, I know. I, I feel like you're getting a little agitated with me, and you want to go, but I got a couple more questions. You gonna bear with me here? No, I think it's great, man. This has definitely been one of my favorite interviews, if not my favorite interview I've ever done. So I appreciate your. All right, I'm, I'm gonna come at you hard here. You ready? Be a little aggressive. Let's. In 2011, you did an interview at the Greenbrier Classic when you won, and you kept referring to your caddy, but you never gave his name. And I'm thinking, this fucking guy, he obviously loves this caddy. I don't know anything about caddies. I don't know if you have the same caddy for the whole tour, if you've had the same caddy since you're 12. I'm almost offended that you don't use your dad as your caddy. I don't know anything about caddies, but why don't you say his name and tell me, like, what is a caddy to you? Like, you're telling me, like, the only caddy story we've heard so far is, is that your caddy had to be held back from beating up this kid's dad because of the stunny pool. So they, he must love you, but for some reason you won't drop his name. You don't want anyone to steal him. Okay, go. His name was Josh Graham, uh, if that makes you feel any better. And I, I referenced him throughout the interviews as far as different things, but probably in that one particular interview, I just referenced my caddy. So, so now it's, now it's versus what you said versus what I'm saying. Okay, you push him back a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and, and, and I'm going to say that I, in this one area, I probably know a little bit more about it. I physically was there. I spoke the words. And you did, you know, a 30-minute maybe not even a search as far as just to figure out ways to just give me a bunch of grief and well, and drinking and, and on my fourth white claw. <laughs> oh my gosh. You drink white claws. I dilute them with Perrier to, to kind of give them a little uppity up, a little uppity up. Oh man, you can't come back from that. <laughs> <laughs> so Josh Graham was the caddy in 2011. Yes. And how many times have you used him and what's the relationship between a caddy and a golfer? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of relationships. I mean, I spend a bunch of time with caddies. Uh, and I mean, when I'm on the road, I'm mean, asking more time with my caddy than I do with my wife. And so, uh, Josh caddy for me for about three years. And so we won the Greenbrier and then we won the next year in Mississippi. And so he's been balanced some health issues and some different things, uh, in his own life. And, uh, it's kind of slowly but surely making a comeback to be back out there on tour. The more money you make, do the more money they make? Absolutely. They're all, they're salary plus percentage based. And how do you choose your caddy? All personal. I could have you caddy for me. Oh shit. I mean, it would be awful, but I mean, I'd probably laugh a lot. <laughs> oh, I'd be just talking to you the whole time. You'd fucking hate it. You would hate it. <laughs> You'd be like, hey, I'll talk to you one hour a year on your podcast. Other than that, get the fuck out of here. So, so you, so, and how did you meet Josh? Or how, so, so let me forget how you met Josh. So, when Josh tells you, hey, I'm going to take a break from you from caddying, are you offended and are you in a panic to find a new guy? No, I mean, the, the, the golf world's very small and the, the caddy world's very small and it's a pretty tight knit group uh, throughout and, you know, makes a, you know, it was a 
and it's business too. I mean, you're trying to, you know, figure out what you're comfortable with and, you know, who feels like it's going to make you the best. And, uh, everyone kind of understands when you step into that world, I mean, uh, a caddy could do everything right. And for whatever reason, still lose his job, depending on what kind of attitude his boss has. Um, are, are caddies want to be professional golfers? No, some of them were professional golfers. I know a couple guys that <laughs> caddy on tour, uh, that used to play and, you know, for whatever reason, injury, whatever, any caddies that are dating their golfer, like like couples, men on men, women on women, man on women, like any like couples out there, couple caddies. Oh my! What? Uh, maybe on the LPGA tour, which is the ladies tour, you can get a little bit of that. But I am unaware of anything that's happened like that on the PGA tour. Because some kids, wow, God, the PGA is so nineteen fifty. Um, some because because you, can you work out with your wife without fighting? uh fighting strong is there friction between you if if you're working out with her uh yeah we do not work out together i actually just right before we did i wrote her a workout she was doing it while i was talking to you um i just saw her come up from the gym so she finished and she gave me the middle finger so see how that that's a good workout that That is a good workout could your wife she had she had five minutes uh she had like some basic you know traditional kind of training you know some five by fives in this, but after every round she had to do two minute wall sit and a two minute plank. So, so she, uh, Oh, she's walking kind of funny right now. (laughs) Why'd you give me, why'd you give me wall sit and plank? Cause I'm trying to make your ass bigger and your stomach tighter. (laughs) Yeah. I just, her middle finger is working really well. (laughs) (laughs) She's not injured Um, because some couples don't work out together at all. Me and my wife, we love working out together, but I was just imagining like, could you have your wife as your caddy or would that be? She caddied for me like mini tours and stuff. And that was way more financially driven than, uh, and I mean, we'd have arguments. You're like, you didn't hit your seven iron at all. Um, yesterday you don't need it. Like, so. Oh, like she's trying to lighten the bag. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. That, that, those conversations were very short lived. Wait a second. You, the the audio went out a little bit. Are you telling me your wife's noticed that you didn't use a club one day? So she wanted to take it out of the bag so she didn't have to carry it. Yeah. So we were playing this one tournament in Florida and you know, you, you, you change golf balls and all these different things as far as your equipment. And I had taken all the balls out of my bag and I was replacing them with new ones. And I came out of the car and I had a couple sleeves of balls and I was getting ready to put them in the back. She's like, you think you need all those balls today? And I was like, well, I mean, I normally keep this many in the bag. She's like, I never knew. She's like, if that's your attitude, why are we out here? If you think you're going to need that many balls? I was like, golly. So, uh, she, she didn't last very long. Right. She she decided her support was better utilized elsewhere. <laughs> um, how so? Is every caddy golfy golfer situation different? Like some caddies are just like, hey, I don't. Want, uh, the golfers like, I don't want you to say a word to me. Don't talk to me. Another mm-hmm. are like, hey, if you see me pick the wrong club, go ahead and advise me. Is it just, is it is yeah. it that broad? Yeah, everyone is totally different. Um, you know, some guys are super involved. Some guys are just bag carriers. Uh, and all the other stuff in between. Some guys are family members. Some guys are this, some guys are that. Um, 
just kind of a little bit of everything. Are you allowed to drink while you're playing? Uh, no. You couldn't even if you wanted to? I mean, there's probably ways to do it, but... No, but maybe. I mean, legally. Like, they don't want you out there, like... like. I'm not hammering White Claws on the course while I'm out there. Maybe What's you your would, problem but... with White Claw? You don't do a White Claw? It seems like it's, it says zero no. and zero, and, you know, it's like zero carbs, zero sugar. Tell me why I shouldn't be drinking those. I just, like, I'm out. I'm out. I feel like that's a millennial thing. Even <laughs> if I found out, my, my sister told me that I was a millennial. I didn't believe her and I actually am falling. I'm like, I'm like OG, like old guy millennial. So I don't know how to relate to these guys that like sleep till noon every day. And like that beard with that kind of bald spot you have right there. And just your David (laughs) Beckham fucking 2004 hairdo. That shit keeps you out of the millennials for sure. (laughs) That is great. When, when what is the life expectancy of a golfer like when when are you like people are like jesus scott you're kind of old i mean can you go to your first year yeah i mean there there's a senior tour as well like a champions tour that's what it's called i mean you could play golf for a long time especially as a professional um i think that's going to change as just as far as i mean the tour just did a new tv deal and like the money that guys are going to play for over the next 10 years is like, you're going to eventually get to the point of like, I, I'm, I don't have to play. And what do you I'm mean? Playing. You lost me. I don't get it. What do you mean? Well, I mean, you know, in the next four years, uh, our number one uh, earner in golf will be higher or on par with the major five sports in as far as top earner. So say average, so Jordan Spieth in 2015 made more money on the course than anyone had ever made, made like $22.8 million. And he made half of what Ben Roethlisberger made and they went eight and eight missed the playoffs. So it's like, okay. we got our, we got our guy that's having the career of career years and he made half of a guy that, you know, <clears throat> just signed a huge contract. And, right. you know, miss, miss the playoffs. And this guy won every tournament you could think of. Right. So with the new TV deal and, and all the stuff with FedEx and everything that comes along that our, our top guy will at least be in the conversation of highest paid in every sport. So guys are going to be playing for more money than they ever played for. So a guy turns four years old, he's played 15 years on tour. It's like, I don't have to play. Right. I made plenty, I made plenty of money in my career. I can go do what I want and, you know, enjoy life. And, I think you're going to see guys more and more as they just the competitive nature of what we do and the grind that it takes. Like you're going to see guys just get to the point where they, because they don't have to. Yeah. You're the, the only bad part about your job that I've heard is the travel. That is a lot of travel. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. What's the uh, minimum amount of tours you have to be in to be, to stay eligible? Like what's the minimum? 15. So, so I guess conceivably you could travel if you were just, you could travel 15 weeks. Yeah. Those are very, those guys that do that are very few and far between. And one of them is named Tiger Woods. (laughs) Oh, did did he have to go back down to like your minors shit? Like, didn't he have some bad years or something? Did he have to, or do they give him an exemption? No, uh, I actually, uh, know the math on this. Cause I asked it one day, if you took out, so if you win 20 times on tour, you're exempt for life. 
So he would be exempt for four lifetimes. Oh, but if shit. you if, if you took his career exemption away, he would be <laughs> exempt in, into like 3,000. So he's good. Yeah, it's 2020. <laughs> like he would be dead uh, for a while. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, um, wow. But just based off of like how all the exemptions work for all the tournaments and stuff that he's won. So, um, it's, okay, uh, let me ask. This, this is the last question before my bladder explodes. Ready? Okay. Is there how many of the guys who enter the PGA? What percentage of the guys who enter the PGA don't ever win a tournament? Uh, more than you would think. Um, how do you know what I know I'm God, thinking? I don't know. Based on some of these questions, I don't want to know what you think. <laughs> That's a scary place in that. Uh, you know, just it is. For men, what, what you got going on up here? It is. You know, t- touch, touch of gray. Is that I'm natural? Trying, I, that is real gray. You think I just dyed that? <laughs> I, I don't know, man. <laughs> it looks so good. You think I just dye my hair gray so I look smart on these podcasts? What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to leave on a note where I'm like, this guy, this guy's won, it, won on the tour three times, right? Yes. And I'm just trying um, to leave on a note like this is the fucking amazing what he did. I don't you know. I'm trying to like leave on a high I, note. And I'm making fun of you just for men. And you made fun of my patchy. I mean, that's pretty good for me, man. I'm not a huge beard guy. Hey, Josh Bridges can't go there, grow there. You're in good company. You are in good company. <laughs> Do you know Graham Holmberg? Yeah, he uh, actually give uh, him and Dan Bailey came and watched me uh, at in Memorial in Dublin this year. Uh huh. And wow. we made we were we were making fun of Graham because uh, he came out like all golfed out. And he, I hate, I can't stand white belts. Maybe because when back before I was in halfway decent shape, I had to wear a decent amount of white belts and I just looked awful. And Graham came out there and obviously he's in great shape, but he, even if you're in great shape, it doesn't give you the ability to have to wear a white belt. So I was just making fun of him. And then Dan thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Um, Graham's so. great. I, I went golfing with him and his dad once. I didn't actually golf. I just sat in the, in the cart and like talk shit the whole time. But he's and great. Clawed it, clawed it up. Yeah. So you don't know? Is it? Is it? Yeah. No. No. I wasn't white clawing it up. This is pre white claw. Um. So you don't know how few? Is it less than fifty percent? Like guys will come in and do half of them never win? Maybe more. Honestly, more than that. I mean, you go through. So say I said there's 175 guys and there's 40, 40 plus events. And you'll have the rare occasion where you have a guy win two or three times. So through the course of a season, you'll have 30 guys win. So, man, it's a small percentage considering the number of guys that actually have a tour card. So everything that kind of goes along with that. And um, then you go over the course of years and everything. I know guys that have played on tour for 10 years that haven't won. Wow. It doesn't stress you out at the end of every year, the beginning of every year, this could be your last year. Like, Oh shit. Like I could get knocked out. No, man. I mean, not, not to say that I don't have any like stresses or anything like that, but I mean, I wake up every single day and get to do what I love. Right. Right. I get to train, I get to train hard. I get to play and practice with the best players in the world. And, you'll go out there and try to compete against them. And I mean, that's gets me, if that doesn't get you fired up, nothing will. And uh, a fit aid will, a fit aid will, a creatine fit aid will. Yeah, man. 
I just did a, I just did a deal with those guys. They're on my collar on my, on tour and I'll get fired up. So ask Aaron and Orion about the first time they worked out. I did a workout with them at their HQ and uh, it was an interesting day. <laughs> so did someone vomit? No, uh, Orion just threatened to exit. All these conversations we've had may have just ended. <laughs> may have just what ended? So, but uh, we, we it may have just ended <laughs> just because of all, he was hurting pretty bad. So they had just been on a trip uh, away, and uh, <laughs> he had maybe indulged a little bit. But man, those guys are great dudes, and uh, I've enjoyed being with them. But yeah, they're right down the house for me. I'm addi- yeah. I'm addicted to the to the fit aid, unfortunately. Hey man, I, honestly, how I got introduced to them is a friend of mine started drinking them to help him get off a of soda. And once I got on water and started to try to figure out something else to kind of, uh, scratch that go from there. Yeah. It went, I got like one minute before I got to run and go chase my daughter. No, I got to go. I got to go. I'm just going to hang up on you. I always got to go. It's my show. <laughs> okay hey man this was awesome you were fantastic truly one of my favorite interviews i've ever done and uh i appreciate it anything we can do let me know awesome thanks scott if you're in santa cruz look me up oh when you come will, when man. You come out here and see dave i'll be here that'd be awesome man okay hey thank you buddy bye